With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We are into February, which means that we're pretty, pretty good amount into the NBA season here. No, we're not going to spend our time for half hour talking about courtside Karen. We are going to talk about the Washington Wizards. We are going to talk about the Dallas Mavericks. And what's going on with those Brooklyn Nets and that defense? Before we get going, though, what's up, guys? Spencer Davies, Brian Fritz, another episode of Keep It at 94, part of the BasketballNews.com podcast network. It can be found on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. So make sure you rate, subscribe, leave a comment. Go check us out on BasketballNews.com along with the other great podcasts a part of our team. Brian, what's up, man? I thought we were going to be breaking down courtside Karen and what she actually said and what LeBron actually said back to her. No, I think I've seen enough of that. And that's just going to turn into something it doesn't need to turn into, as uh, a lot of people said it would. Uh, it was a little funny moment. Uh, and I think that having a fan interaction and this type of you know, world we got going on right now, it actually is kind of funny. It sucks that you know, she wasn't wearing a mask or whatever and was yelling at the players and hopefully didn't compromise anything with the officials or the team or even the fans next to her. But the interaction itself, a little bit of banter. I mean, we saw last week what happened when a Cavs front office member ended up in LeBron's ear and LeBron ended up putting the Cavs away in the fourth quarter, right? Yeah. So somebody in Atlanta doubles down the next week. Same thing happens because the Hawks were making a run and then the King put it away. Two important questions about this and we'll leave it to rest because I thought LeBron handled it magnificently in the post game uh, presser. Uh, he um, thought that maybe alcohol was involved. Do you agree with that? See, I do too. Here's the other thing. <laughs> do you believe that woman is 25? Okay. All right. We're not going to be getting into personal shots here. But she, like, it <laughs> probably had ten years. Maybe I. Who who knows and who cares? But we never we, we never know with filters, right? Know, right. The Instagram filters, you never know. Yeah, I don't think she did herself any favors by the video that she did later, the TikTok or whatever. And who knows exactly what happened? But I do think LeBron handled it great. And on top of that. Um, that is something else that the NBA is going to have to address when it comes to having some fans there, because if fans are going to take their mask down, especially people at courtside, that is a problem. And I think that's, that's probably the biggest thing that comes to light with that whole situation is if you're going to be there in the arena, especially courtside, the mask must stay on at all times. And that's the thing too. I didn't think that they would actually have courtside fans. Like I'm in Cleveland. I've said it before on this podcast, like every podcast, because I don't shut up about my hometown. But when I attend the Cavs game, I've been to two so far this year, like the closest seats are in the lower bowl, but like there's a tarp like in the first 20 seats. So I understand that. And I mean, even even though it's not right, if they were to pull down their masks from that distance and yell, there's at least a boundary there. But Sitting courtside, I mean, you see where the Instagram video was taken? That, that was close. That that, was I could close not believe that there were courtside fans there because even on the broadcast early on, they said, oh, there are some fans here at the building. So I just assumed it's like what you explain is going on in Cleveland and some other places because being courtside, I mean, even with a mask on, I mean, you're not social distancing at all. And I understand that this is a business and everything that goes into that. But to me, I, I was shocked that there's people even their courtside. And then it leads to a possible incident like this where somebody takes their mask down and hopefully nothing happens from this, but it's something the NBA has to look at because it does leave people open to, you know, 
a possible spread of the virus. Yeah. And I was at the field house, you know, last week or whatever. I was watching the ushers as the game was going along or, you know, in between timeouts. And and they were actually pretty strict. It probably depends on the team uh, and how seriously they take it, like individually. Uh, but I think that they've done a good job for the most part. And again, they're like the way that that the people are grouped together um, looked OK. But in, again, in, in certain places, just obviously differences by state and differences by organization. Um, it gets a little dicey, but again, we're not going to talk about courtside caring for that long. So we're going to just drop it there. Uh, let's move on and get into, I, I want to, let's start, let's start with the negative here, Brian. How about that? Let's, I let's know that's start. where you like to normally go is you're a negative person. So sure. Let's do that. I'm actually quite the opposite. I'm the eternal optimist. And I think that my family hates me for that. Well, and you have to be because hate me for that. You're from Cleveland, so I would hope that you're an eternal optimist, or else. Oh my God, you, Brian, you're you a horrible person. You do not know the half of it of this town, man. <laughs> People are actively looking for reasons to not believe in the Cleveland Browns right now. Actively looking. I'm like, guys, we just won our first playoff game in like 30 years. No, we don't need to trade the quarterback. Chad, that's for you. We're talking football again. Just kidding. Uh, so into the Mavs. They've lost six in a row. Last night, lost a heartbreaker because Devin Booker put him to bed. Um, the returning yeah, this is Devin Booker. Yes, the returning Devin Booker. First time in what? Three games? Missed three games? Two games? Something like that. Kristaps uh, uh, Porzingis after, I mean, he's had a horrific, horrific stretch. Um I mean, we knew his defensive deficiencies, you know, were something to be of concern. But even offensively, he's just not looked like himself. At least, at least in the fourth quarter, he got going a little bit, looked a little bit more like the unicorn that we're used to seeing. However, the defensive deficiencies are, are really bad because it's, it's not even just a technique thing. It's a physical thing in which he's not moving the way that we're used to seeing him move. And obviously that's going to happen when you have a, a knee injury that happens. But uh, even of more concern is Luka Doncic's three-point shooting. And I tell you why. Luka Doncic is not the reason the Mavs are losing. That's a dumb take. The reason the Mavs are losing is because they don't have shooting like they used to. And this all comes back to the loss of Seth Curry. Now, in the offseason, I thought that the trade for Josh Richardson was a good one because Josh Richardson was an okay three-point shooter in his career. He's a decent three-point shooter. Tim Hardaway thought they'd be fine because he's good as a secondary or third scorer on that team. These numbers are not good. When you look at what they do and, and how many threes that they take, and you see one guy who's shooting over 39%, that's not a good look. Um, I'm just going down the list right here now, and I see multiple, multiple 30%, 39%, 29%, which is Luka Doncic, by the way, 29% from deep right now. Uh, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith, usually a really reliable guy from the corner, 32%. Um, James Johnson, somebody who's been playing a huge role for them right now uh, because they've had injuries, 29% from deep. Like, this is not good. Kristaps <laughs> Porzingis, 30.2%. Uh, their leading three-point shooters right now are Maxi Kleba, who is really tearing the cover off the ball uh, as a three-point shooter, but he's only played 10 games. And then Jalen Brunson, who has really the backup point guards are, are doing a good job. The, the bench is doing a, a good job of supplanting Luca, but still I think the center position is a concern uh, even though Willie Cauley Stein has had his strong moments this year and um, he's, he's looking solid but he's not exactly you know playing the whole time because you have to allocate minutes to Dwight Powell who's coming back from an injury as we know uh, sometimes you're playing KP at the five because you want a smaller lineup to match up with certain different you know teams uh, it's odd seeing Boban only, you know, playing here and there. 
He's not even playing every night. And that's one of their best, you know, pick and roll offensive options. Like, this is a team that needs to get it figured out. We're 20 games into the season or so for the teams that haven't missed that many. Um, And they're starting to lose in this, this race for the Western Conference playoffs. They're starting to drop. Now, you have teams like the Pelicans and the Timberwolves who are doing the same thing and doing a nosedive. But then you also have a team like the Thunder who are continually staying in it. Uh, We're going to get to the Rockets, but they're getting hot. The Warriors, they're like a middling team, but middling is better than what Dallas is right now. Uh, And Sacramento, who's won four out of five. So you've got to figure it out uh, pretty quickly. Uh, I think Luka was at least a little bit pleased with the progress that they made in that game against Phoenix on Monday night. But this is a, a whole different ballgame as far as problem goes. And I know that a lot of fans just scanning through my timeline are starting to get impatient with Rick Carlisle. I don't think Rick Carlisle, though, is the problem. I mean, I think there's a lot I of other think problems. So either. Yeah, there's a lot of other problems that are going on with this team. Porzingis does not look right. Like you said, you know, he started the season late coming back from an injury. He has not looked right. I don't think Porzingis has looked right in a couple of seasons. It was a kind of a, a big gamble for Dallas to make the, the trade for him when they did, and they thought they got him at a good price. The question was going to be whether or not he could stay healthy, and so far he has not been able to stay healthy. So you start worrying about this. Doncic came into the season out of shape. He's been working his way into shape you know, over you know this first quarter of the season where he's finally starting to get there. I think too many times he is still doing the step back threes, which has been one of the problems that he has had. And then plus he's a guy that's counted on to take uh, shots when the, sh- uh, the shot clock is running low. So he's going to have to take some bad shots. So he's starting to get his range back. But, you know, when it comes to the shooting problems overall with his team, Seth Curry not being there is one of the, the problems because he's a spacer. He's a guy that could hit the shots. He added so many different little things, but, I think overall, just when it comes to the offense and, and some of this too is there, you know, everybody hasn't played there together between Porzingis missing games because of an injury. They got hit with COVID pretty bad. So they, they haven't been able to develop really good team chemistry on the court so far, but the big problem for me, it's not just on defense. It's, it's on offense where last year, remember they were the most efficient offense in NBA history, averaging, you know, over 122 points, I believe it was. And you look at what they've done so far this year, and they're nowhere close to that. I mean, right now, I mean, they're averaging about 109 points a game, which sounds like a lot. But when you look at today's NBA, they're kind of middle of the pack or even lower. So there's a lot of problems. You use use offensive rating in that one. I mean, just the the, the points per game, you got to look at per, per, you know, 100% possession. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um. The, but I mean, the there's, problem, there's, a, there's a lot of problems that are going on with this team. And I, and I, and I think a lot of it is they've got to get everybody on the court together and, you know, develop some chemistry, but um, they've got to play harder. And I think that's one of the problems that people look at when it comes to Carlisle. I don't call it a, a Carlisle problem. That's going to be the easiest person to look at. I think when it comes to that, but one of the big question marks on this team is, are they playing hard enough right now? I think we started to see a little bit of that. Like you said, on Monday night in the game against Phoenix, that's a good loss, I would say, because Phoenix is a good team. It was a very close game. Booker, it, was a, it was a Devin Booker ballsy yeah. shot. Yeah, it Booker was hits a, he hits a three with uh, just under two seconds. And it go. was contested. It was contested. Yeah, you can't, you know, I mean, they did their job. Those are going to happen. You're going to have close games and you're going to lose some. But, you know, some of these other ones, you just cannot accept. And we're getting to a point now where, yeah, they're three games out of the eight spot. Now, mind you, they do the play-in tournament and everything, but where they're at right now, they are nowhere close to a team that we thought they were going to be. You can't put COVID on everything when it comes to that. That's that's a problem, I understand, but now is the time where if they're past that and they get everybody on the court, where they've got to start putting it together or else they're really going to fall too far behind. And you know something I didn't even think about uh, to this point was you know missed threes. Those are going to lead to long rebounds and stuff. Um, and that includes the, the, you know, the defense. And if the defense gets one of those long rebounds, they're already out in transition by that time. Yeah. So that, that's definitely something that could affect, you know, easy buckets, transition buckets for the other team. So, you, you, you know, you're bricking the outside shot. You're basically 
getting the other team halfway to the rim the other way. So you got to start make, making those shots. And um, I am looking at basketball references page here, and it does say that the strength of schedule for the Mavs has been the highest in the league. So maybe that's something to pay attention to. Um, but all that's excuses. I mean, you just is, watch this is, team and you can tell you they're be, not right. Yeah. Yeah, they're they, they're just not right on the court. You can. I'm just, I'm just searching for answers, Brian, because I just know that Dallas was one of the hottest teams in the league last year and one of the favorites to take that next leap. Well, so it's if you, like you remember me being, you know, before the season started, or right when the season did start and we were talking about it here on the podcast early on, I thought the Mavericks could be in line for like the three seed in the West. I really thought they were going to make another jump. Now, mind you, it obviously hasn't come close to that. And that, like I said, I can't put it all on Seth Curry. I, I was kind of wishy-washy about that trade because the importance of three-point shooting in the league right now, I understood why they did it and what they thought they're getting with Josh Richardson, but there's just been a culmination of a lot of things here that hasn't worked out for them. And I mean, they're nowhere near the team that we thought they were going to be. And, and the question that I have is, are they going to start playing harder and can they turn this around to where they can at least, you know, get in the middle of the playoffs? Right, right. Okay, from a team that's lost six in a row to a team that's won six in a row. How about the Houston Rockets? Look at the brand of basketball the Houston Rockets are playing since that trade of James Harden. It looks like everyone's just kind of had this weight lifted off their shoulders. They're playing together, man. They're, they're, they're fun to watch. I have, I, I have thoroughly enjoyed this team uh, just because you, you just see that everyone's striving for the same type of goal. Uh, you're obviously going to have to have a chemistry building in the backcourt between John Wall and Victor Oladipo, but you know that they're going to keep the ball moving and they're going to have their possessions where they, you know, get some for themselves. Um, you look at a guy like Christian Wood, who's top one, top two in the most approved player race, as we mentioned last week. Uh, I want to look at DeMarcus Cousins and how good he looks off the bench and not, not only just looking good, uh, I know he's not as nimble as he used to be, but that three-point percentage is getting up there now. Uh, I know 33% isn't the sexiest look, but when I'm looking at the, the numbers that he's had as of late, uh, it's, a, it's an encouraging thing. And they're really wanting, they, they want him to fire those up because he's not able to take guys off the dribble with ease like he used to be. When you look at him put it on the floor, it's not the prettiest sight. But... In that, uh, you know, the last five games, he's shooting 45% from beyond the arc on six attempts. Uh, he's still able to bully his way into rebounds. Uh, he's getting steals. And the, the good part about this is the, the way that Steven Silas is managing his minutes. He obviously had to step in for Christian Wood when Christian Wood was, was hurt for that pair of games or however many games he, he missed. But Boogie's only playing 18 minutes a night. and if you're somebody that is as talented as DeMarcus Cousins and you're playing that role where you come in and you can give all you got because you know you're not going to be, you know, uh, that fatigued at the end of the game by playing, you know, 35, 36 minutes as you're used to, then there's just like a whole different type of energy that you can bring to the table. And I love that unit that he runs um, with the, the bench. I think that it's a perfect fit for him right now. And it's a thing where it's if it ain't broke, don't fix it type of deal. Um, you know, the bench, they have great contributors. I love that the, the job that Sterling Brown's done this year. David Nawaba, both of those are, are tough nosed dudes that make a real difference on the defensive end. And uh, both of them are are bringing, you know, career best uh, offensive numbers. I think that Jay Sean Tate, even though he doesn't really come off the bench, sometimes he'll he'll be starting. Um, but his just versatility as a, a guy, a glue guy. Uh, and I might have a little bit of bias here because I am, as you know, in Ohio and I am a Buckeye fan, a Zips fan first, Akron Zips fan first, but I am a Buckeye fan. So I watched Jay Sean Tate play all four years at Ohio State, but he looks so good. And he's been the, the kind of analytical darling that everybody's been talking about in that, in that front. Uh, we know what Eric Gordon can do. He can go off for 30 at any night he wants to, um, and he's coming off the bench. But just as a team, I, I just have very good 
vibes about what's going on there. And we're not even talking about the Kevin Porter Jr. acquisition yet uh, because he's still, you know, working his way into that environment. But shoot, if if he gets into that into that team and, and you know gets right, then they've got something brewing there. Not saying that it's going to turn into even a, a playoff appearance this year or you know uh, a win in the postseason and getting into the second round, whatever it may be. But when you lose a cultural piece and you lose a player that has pretty much been the face of your franchise for the better part of the last decade. And you have to pick up and kind of move forward the way that the Rockets have done that. And kudos to Steven Silas, who should be one of the coach of the year candidates right now. Same with JB Bickerstaff. Um, That is a shape up job. Well, I think when you look at the move that they made in, you know, trading away James Harden. You're going to be a better team if you have James Harden on your team. And this is why the the Rockets have made the playoffs for so many years in a row. However, we knew it was time for him to go. There was problems there with the front office, problems with the the ownership, problems with uh, team chemistry. You know, some basketballs at rookie teammates. Yeah, different things like that. So there comes a time where they say it is time to go. So they move off of James Harden and then, they basically have to change the style of basketball that they are playing now because they have lost this guy that dominates the ball so much on offense. But what they've done out of that is a variety of things, especially on defense, where the defense has been much better because you've got people that are actually plugged in and actually playing defense all the time. And that's what's kind of spurred the six-game winning streak that they've had when people thought maybe the Rockets are going to fall off a cliff after they made this this trade. And then on top of that, John Wall has played a lot better than I think people had any right to expect. When he's still got that same burst, man. Yes, he's it's great. It's awesome, man. Like you, you look at a guy that's coming off of the injury that he's coming off of, and you don't see that same zero to a hundred in guys when they're coming back from an injury. And he's thirty. You know, like he's getting up there in age. He's starting to get up there in age, but he still has that quickness to beat you off the dribble and get to the cup. And even in transition, I'm looking at this and I'm like, dang, this dude wasn't kidding when he's talking about that. He was working out the last two years because this dude is fast still. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, they, they've gotten contributions out of him. Cousins has played well. The bench has played well. Christian Wood is still playing exceptional basketball. Now they've got Oladipo there who's fit in very well and on both ends of the court for what they've done. Um, PJ Tucker is still struggling a little bit, but they're hoping that now he can start getting in a little bit more of a flow um, with what he can do. He's always been the glue guy, you know, yeah, like always. he he's he's he's, he's actually kind of he's, being supplement, suppl- you know, supplanted by Jay Sean Tate right now as that guy. Yeah. Uh, so PJ's probably like, wait a minute. <laughs> this, well, well, this rookie's I mean, coming in over here from Australia and, and taking my spot, but well, it's PJ, not really the PJ's case. PJ's an Iron Man, and I think that he was not only struggling, but, you know, he was upset with things that are going on with the team and, you know, they're in a better place now. And I think what this is going to do is it's going to be a very interesting dilemma for the Rockets going forward. And I think they're not going to know about this probably for another two, three, four weeks, but if they continue playing this well, and we don't think they're contenders, but they could be in a strong position in the West. I mean, where they can actually, you know, make the playoffs, but do they want to build with what they have here or do they want to still make some moves? Because even when they got Oladipo, there were a lot of questions about like, he's in the final year. Is he going to stay there? They're going to move him before the deadline. There's been a lot of talk about PJ Tucker being valuable to other teams. What could they get for him? And I think that over this next two, three, four weeks, we're going to have to closely look at the Rockets, see how well they're playing. And even if they are playing well, what kind of a decision do they want to make going into their future? Because they do have a possible or a couple of, possible valuable pieces here that they could get something for if they want to move them before the trade deadline. Yeah, no, for sure. And the thing here, here too, is as much as PJ Tucker means to the city of Houston and to this organization, uh, he's one of those guys that if he's on your team, you love him. If he's not on your team, you, you hate him just because of the, the style of play he has. I thought that was Trey Young. <laughs> All right, fine, fine, fine. Uh, but with PJ... If, if they were to decide to move on from him, they've got a lot 
of veterans on that team still. So it's not like you're losing like a major leader. Like you still got Eric Gordon around. You still got DeMarcus Cousins, John Wall. These are guys that have been in the league for a good minute. So well, it's, it's not like you're completely eradicating your experienced locker room if they do find a trade partner for P.J. Tucker. Right, and, and I think they could find one. It's just, you know, do we want to move on from him and are we happy with what we get? Because the talk out there has been, if we move P.J. Tucker, Tucker, the asking price is a first rounder or, believe it or not, three second rounders because people are going to get stingier when it comes to their first round draft picks. And not too many people or not too many teams even have them, quite honestly, because there's been so many mega trades that um, not every team, especially contenders, have the first you know, first round picks to make a big deal like this. So I will see what comes together. Daniel house is another guy that I would look at as well, that maybe they could get a little bit of something for that. They might move on from. So that I, th- I think it's going to be interesting to watch the rockets here to see how well they play. And even if they do play well, could they still be sellers before the trade deadline? Just their just their rotation. They have a, a boatload of, you know, wings. So it's 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 definitely uh, a too many cooks in the kitchen type of deal, but not in a bad way. And again, no. Steven Silas is just managing this so well. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Mason Jones, uh, somebody who's come out of nowhere and he's shooting 58 percent from deep. Uh, he's only playing, you know, about 12 minutes a night, but he's come in and uh, really started to make his mark. And like you said, that could make, you know, a, a guy like, uh, you know, Daniel House or Ben McLemore uh, expendable if he continues to just crack his way into this rotation. Can I bring Um, this point up again, though? Two points. Number one, if you are the Pistons, how do you not re-sign Christian Wood? And two, how many other teams are in for him in free agency? Because, I mean, I don't know if anybody expected him to make this kind of a jump, but, I mean, he has played exceptionally well. This isn't just a one- or a two-week thing. This has been so far over the season kind of a thing. It has. And it's consistent. That's what's crazy. But it, it's funny you bring that up because Christian tweeted last night after that game, I've always believed in myself, even when no one else did. Well, when he was out there in free agency, I was wondering like, okay, what kind of money is he going to get? But the Pistons moved on from him. And correct me if I'm wrong. Did he get, what was it, like three years, 40 million? 40, 40 something million. Some, yeah. Something like that. So, I mean, 13, mm-hmm. $14 million. And yep. I was kind of sitting there going, okay, that's not, a ridiculous amount of money. I mean, it's it's good, you know, but it's today's NBA. It's, you know, not too far over the mid-level. I mean, it's a chunk over it, but I mean, there's teams that had that kind of space or maybe could make a move for that, you know, and um, I can only imagine the, um, the number of teams that he could have helped. Yeah. You know, a young guy that maybe on some other teams, he wouldn't be putting up these kind of numbers, but definitely he's a better player. I mean, he's showing a lot more than what we've seen before and he can help a lot of teams. I think that we've seen this in the past, like not to pat ourselves on the back for, you know, calling these things. But if you were to go back in somebody's Twitter history and you look up Christian Wood, you see that he got opportunities towards the tail end of seasons uh, with teams like Milwaukee, teams like New Orleans. Um, You know, Philly was originally where he was at, but it was those times in Milwaukee and uh, New Orleans and Detroit when he just gradually got more and more playing time and it really manifested itself with the Pistons last season, especially when Andre Drummond uh, got traded. But it's one of those cases where somebody just needed to stick with him. The Pistons did not stick with him and that was a bad idea. I love what Jeremy Grant's doing for him. He's doing a lot. He is having, again, it's actually ironic that he's competing with him for most improved player. Was I supposed to pat you on the back, by the way, because I, I assume you're talking it, about yourself? I was being, I was being very uh, coy, vague about it. Okay. Vague about it. But yes, that was me. Uh, but he's competing with Jeremy Grant. And again, Jeremy Grant is just flat out killing it right now for the Pistons. Good for him. I'm very happy for him. Uh, this is what he wanted, but, though. He wanted to be a guy that was front and center on a team, but with did. that comes some perils. And yes. you've seen that with the Pistons. Yeah, and he can't do it all on his own. And Christian Wood wouldn't have been able to do it on his own either. But you think 
that staff would want to keep him around, right? Instead oh, of I was shocked that they just let him walk. I mean, it wasn't that they didn't keep him; it's that they didn't get anything for him. They just let him walk. They did. I was like, that is an asset. You can't give up assets. And I know that, you know, they must have been happy with the uh, 28 other bigs that they got in his place, you know, in 29. Yeah, but I'm like, I mean, I see this guy's got talent and he's young. I'm like, you don't want to at least, you know, keep him around. And if you still like him, you move him because he is an asset. I mean, this is just, to me, it was just a simple thing of not putting the right kind of value on somebody in, and knowing, like, I can't just let somebody walk and get nothing in return. You I just don't get how you look at the sample size from January to March and say, okay, yeah, he's still not going to get us anything. Like, yeah. oh, that's a guy that's, we can just let go in free agency, you know? Right. Yeah. That, like you said, asinine, but good for Christian Wood. Keep moving forward. And that Rockets team, again, that they're, they're real fun. Uh, which one do you want to get into next, Brian? Which, which team do you want to get into next? Uh, I think we got to talk about the Brooklyn Nets because All right. they're one of the most exciting teams on the court. Um, they're one of the most frustrating teams as well. Um, and, and who knows who's going to be in the lineup between Durant and Irving and Harden. The guys have missed some, some games for various reasons um, lately. But uh, this team has so much potential. But then at the same time, the problem that we wondered about and plenty of other people wondered about was what would they do on defense? And um, they're not doing much on defense, quite honestly. And that was front and center uh, a couple of nights ago when they lost to the Wizards in a game where um, they were up five with 12 seconds to go, lost the game because Bradley Bill hit a three. They tried to inbound the ball. They screwed that up. Steal Westbrook with a three. They take the lead. And they end up winning 149 to 146, but they gave up 48 points in the fourth quarter to the Wizards. 48 points. Now, mind you, the Wizards are right there with them as one of the worst defensive teams in the league. And that was quite the shootout, but you can't have that happen if you want to be a true contender. It's crazy. I mean, this is where they, I, I don't know what they can do right now. I mean, they still got some open roster spots and they're going to, have to try to make some moves and get some people in there that that give a damn on defense but holy mackerel i mean (laughs) the the nets have so many star players and they don't play a lick of d no no uh i think it was Kyrie that said that he he couldn't park he couldn't he couldn't guard a stick so now we got a, a parked car on the wizard's end and we have a stick on the Nets end. Mm. but actually funny little story about this game my buddy texted me before this game he said i hate money but I have to do it. I'm going to take the under on this game. And I said, okay, say goodbye. Say goodbye to, to Benjamin Franklin because this one is not what you want to do that game on. You've got the Wizards who are just abysmal as a defensive team. Uh, and then you have the Nets who are putrid as a defensive team. I said, one of them might score 160 points. And lo and behold, the the winner was 11 points away from that. Can so, you imagine if this in my went to overtime? Oh my gosh. It, it was yeah. 149-146 in regulation. Yes. Yes. How do you do that? I have no idea. How do you give up 48 no points in a quarter? I don't care how bad you are defensively. Because, I mean, I believe that if you go back X amount of years, or maybe it's an entire NBA, I heard the stats somewhere, and I don't have it exactly right, but I'm going to mention it anyway, that NBA champions traditionally are what top 11 top 12 when it comes to defensive efficiency i don't think anybody outside of that has ever won or hasn't won in so many years the nets right now are 25th in defensive efficiency 25th can i ask you this got a long way to go as we as i told you before remember how i had my concerns about deandre jordan i thought everybody did i thought he would be playing you know 30 minutes a night like he used to in L.A., but I said that's going to hurt them. I think that the coaching staff understands this right now because DeAndre Jordan didn't even play 20 minutes in that game. So imagine saw, if they had somebody either, like Jared Allen. You saw, imagine, imagine, and we can, we can talk about that little, that little game on Monday too if you want to, but just 
at the five, you'll see Kevin Durant, you'll see Jeff Green, Reggie Perry will fill in here and there. But who's your rim protector, man? Like, who is your rim protector? You need to go out and get somebody. Dwayne Dedman's just sitting out there for you. Or Chris Sheridan was talking about teams in the Chinese Basketball Association that could provide options. I know Sean Mark sees it. I know he's not dumb. He's a great general manager. But you got to get that done, man. If because this are, is getting bad. If you're the Nets front office, who are the guys that you target? Is, are you looking more for somebody that's still available? Like you said, like a Dwayne Dedman? Or is there a move that you see that you would like them to make? I'm calling up Cleveland again, and I'm saying, here's a second-round pick for JaVale McGee. Easy. Done. Do you have, do you have to send somebody back to match? Because, I mean, the, the Nets don't have No, no, they don't need to. Because he's only a $4.3 million salary, and um, there's, they're able to absorb it, I believe. I don't know if it's a trade exception, but they're able to absorb it without even sending a player. Oh, because back. of the, um, they have an injury exception for uh, Dinwiddie, don't they? Uh, they do. I don't think they've used it yet. Or did they use that on Pell? I, I can't remember. But all I know is Chris Sheridan wrote an article on that and talked to a source, said that, boom, JaVale McGee could fit right in and they wouldn't need to send a player back. And if they did sell, send a player back, it would be someone on a rookie contract. And I don't think they have anyone on a rookie contract. You know what the weird thing is when it comes to They JaVale need Nick McGee? Claxton back, actually. Yeah. Maybe that's what they're waiting on. <laughs> when it comes to JaVale McGee, He's got real value around the league right now. And As he should. I'm watching him dominate in the paint. Well, the weird it's, thing not, it's not even offensive. It's, I'm talking about he's just swatting dudes well, and the, altering every shot. JaVale, especially once he joined the Lakers. Okay, so for the last couple of years and then now with the Cats, he has kind of found his game. I mean, he was kind of this wacky wild guy that played with the Warriors. Like, oh, here comes JaVale McGee for a little He time. still has those possessions, and by he the still way. has those possessions, but... I think he is focused in a lot more on what he does well on the court. And even if he's not blocking shots, he's making it a nightmare to shoot over him because he is so big and he has so much length and he's changing shots. And he's a guy that is always a threat around the rim because he's a, not on offense too, because he can just go up and get the ball and just dunk. I mean, he's always going to be a guy that's there for alley-oops. That's what the Lakers did all the time with him is they kept him around the rim and they made him as, you got to respect this guy or else he's going to go up and we're just going to throw him a lob and he's going to get it and he's going to dunk on you. So he, he's got value around the league. He's not a guy that you want to play a ton of minutes, but if you get him out there for 15 to 20 minutes, he'll do his job. And it's not even going to be an, he's not a guy that you can really necessarily put in there for the playoffs because look at what, it depends on the matchup, but look what the Lakers did against the Heat. They actually took him out of the lineup in the finals, but he's a great regular season guy. And then depending on the matchup in the playoffs, maybe you can put him in there because quite honestly, if I'm looking at landing spots for JaVale McGee, who I think is going to be moved here before the deadline, I can almost guarantee it. I'll, I'll tell you one team I think that'd be very interested in him, the Los Angeles Lakers, because I look at the Lakers right now and I think they need another big because of what he brings a team and changing shots. Another guy that you put next to AD, it frees up AD to kind of be a roamer a little bit and do what he does on defense while you've got another shot blocker there. Plus he runs the court so well, he can be that guy that plays above the rim because the Lakers don't have that this year. Last year they had it with two guys because they had both JaVale and Dwight Howard and they miss that right now. I mean, they the Lakers just tighten up the rotation. Wes Matthews, and Markeith Morris are no longer in the rotation because the Lakers are going to I saw that, and I played Wes Matthews on DK that night, so thanks, Frank Vogel. Yeah, so that's this is two games in a row where the Lakers have said those guys are out of the rotation. So, I mean, if you wanted to do a simple Wes Matthews and a second-round pick for JaVale McGee, that would be a move that would make sense for the Lakers. Now, can the Cavs get something more than a Lakers second-round pick for JaVale McGee? Maybe. But, I mean, that's kind of the value you're looking for. And, I mean, there, there's, there's other teams I'm sure that would be interested in him as well. Yes. And you, you went on a little bit uh, off the beaten path there, but you kind of brought up what I wanted to bring up. So, not only this uh, JaVale McGee stuff. Uh, by the way, the, the Nets, I did forget to mention, brought in Amon Shumpert. Uh, oh, there we go. Played. Lockdown D. He has not played yet, but Iman and Kyrie Irving, they're known as the Hardy Boys. From back in their days in Cleveland. Just saying. I didn't know that. Yes. That's a little little anecdote for you there, Brian. Uh, but 
Another big in Cleveland that should be on a lot of people's radars is Andre Drummond. Yes. And okay, tell me if I'm crazy here. And for people I've talked to, I think it's I think it's just an absolute dumb idea that the Cavs would straight up buy out Andre Drummond to help another contender. There's no way that's happening. What, where on earth is that coming from? I don't know. There, because there he's, playing no an, he's playing at an all-star level. I understand that he has his moments where he, you know, kind of becomes the vacuum on offense and demands too much. I understand that. But you think that the Cavs are just going to straight up buy out a guy that's averaging 19 and 15 and has been the veteran leader of their team while Kevin Love's been on the sidelines. You think that they're just going to buy that guy out and, zero and, and help your team. The guy making $29 million, you think that they're going to buy him out. Like, you Get the know, hell out of here. You just mentioned salary. I mean, that, that's the only difficult part when it comes to Drummond is that he does make almost $29 million. So it kind of limits maybe where he goes, especially with contenders. But, but I'll but tell you why it doesn't. He's got, he's got way too much value to not, uh, that you can't just let this dude just go. I mean, they could have just let him go last year, you know, when they weren't sure if he was going to pick up his contract. They didn't do it. Exactly. And I'll tell you why it's a little bit easier for someone to deal with the Cavs is they have an open roster spot now because of the Kevin Porter deal. So if you need to go two or three for Drummond and you're a contender or want to be a contender, someone like Toronto, maybe Brooklyn, even though Brooklyn would have a hard time matching that salary. I, I can't imagine send, Brooklyn doing it, but they'd yeah. have to send back Joe Harris. And then there that would, oh my gosh, that would be such a bad deal for them. Uh, just because I, I don't want to get into it, but I, I've already said my piece on how the Nets have completely done a 180 on what they built. If you are the Boston Celtics, would you use your trade exception for Andre Drummond? How much is that trade exception? 27, I believe. Really? Just absorb and probably send a pick? Yeah, the Gordon Haywood trade exception, I believe, is $27 million. That is a large trade exception. Right. And remember, they don't have to use it before the trade deadline. They will have it uh, until next season. Yeah, I think that if they could, you know, toss in somebody uh, that's, you know, not playing as much, uh, just a. It's a twenty eight and a half million dollar trade exception. Yeah. Yeah. I think that mm. so they could they could absorb it with if that. They, if they got a, a pick or two with it, I think that's doable. Um, and that man, you're telling me I would feel bad for Tristan Thompson first because then Tristan can't get away from this guy. <laughs> Tristan's there to, to be the starting, starting big and, uh, Andre Drummond comes in, but I, I don't think I the think Celtics should do that just because it's his final year. Do they want to lock him in long-term? I don't, I don't, I think on the court, he could be the right fit, but I don't know if it's going to work financially for them. Yeah, that's fair. But and also, I, what, what, other, what people don't associate with Andre is that Andre is somebody who does demand the ball and who you don't want him to be the focal point of your offense. But, you know, a good chunk of possessions during these games, he's getting the ball on the block and going towards the rim, whether it works or not. Yeah, depending on, you know, we'll see what teams are interested in him and what they can do because of that salary. But worst case scenario, I think, when it comes to the drum and trade is they could at least say, we'll take back these parts that still have a couple years left and you're trying to get off salary. So we'll send you Andre's in the final year. We can get a couple of pieces. Then, then we can decide what we want to do with those. As long as they're not too long-term where maybe we flip them, you know, this year, next year, whenever, or if they're guys that we want to have, and you're, you're just in a situation where you're trying to lose salary for the next you know season or two. Yeah. I'm scanning around the league here. Uh, I don't know if it would make sense because they don't really have, uh, no offense to, you know, Cody Zeller, cause he's actually a pretty solid player. Um, but you know, Charlotte, uh, I think that Portland could make sense. Portland um, would make sense, but I don't know if they have the Sacramento Dallas. How about Dallas? Let's see what we could do with Dallas because well, they need a shot in the arm. Don't they? Well, if you want to trade Porzingis, oh, that's just not going to happen. James Johnson is making uh, a pretty penny. So yes, that would is. be a good starting point. 
James Johnson, Dwight Powell, and someone like Wessel Wundu, maybe Jalen Brunson. Do that. I think they, they need a shot in the arm. We've, we've already talked about Dallas, but since we're in the trade talks now, I think that that would be a good fit. So let's stick with that. Dallas, best fit. Dallas, I think, would be a good fit. Nets, second best fit. Well, I mean, Raptors, I think it'd be a third best fit. Well, here's the thing. You talk about him being the guy that demands the ball. Do you really want to put him on a Nets team with three guys that already demand the ball? Well, he would actually have to, you know, adapt to that. And, you know, to his credit, like I've continuously just pounded the drum for this guy. Uh, he is being a professional about it and doing his job. So I think in his last contract year that he would bite the bullet and do that because he's shown already that he deserves to get paid. Cavs aren't going to pay him probably, but no. he deserves to get paid. Um, he does. Maybe, not, not, maybe much... not nearly what he's making right now, but he, he's a guy that should make at least 20. Yeah. And an alarm long-term deal or in a multi-year deal. How about that? We'll I, I'm that. looking at Portland really quick and trying to see where I could make it work there, but I just, I don't know. All right. Let's that, stick with that. So that's, that's the one problem I think you have when it comes to Drummond is just, how much money he makes for a deal, but they, they can't just let him walk. I mean, it, you know, you talk about guys that, that could just walk and maybe have value. Like another guy that I've heard of lately is JJ Reddick because he's fallen out of rotation with the Pelicans. He's already been struggling. The Pelicans are already kind of a weird story with what's going on there anyway. And, you know, the word on the street is JJ has said, well, if you want to trade me, it's fine, but I want to go to the Northeast because he lives in Brooklyn. So he wants to be closer to home. Yeah. He, Nets, Sixers, Knicks, Celtics, something like that is where you'd want to go. But, you know, how much do you want to give up for a guy that while he's in his final year, you know, he, he's been struggling this year. And I'm sh so there's, there's been some talk that maybe if they don't get what they want for the trade deadline, they would just buy him out. Bro, it's simple. If the, if the Pelicans want to get, get a deal for him, send him back to Philly, man. Again, a Doc Rivers guy played for him in, in Los Angeles. Sixers could use another shooter. Not that they what? need him per se. So JJ makes about somebody 13. off the bench. He makes 13. What are you giving up to match that 13? I mean, the Sixers. Okay. Let's Mike let's Scott's got to be in that deal. Yeah. I'm sure that the Pelicans wouldn't mind that. The Pelicans are going nowhere fast right now. Right. Like, I, I don't know they, where it's, it's been. It's been really, really tough to watch them. Uh, especially second halves. I don't know if that's just me, but I feel like they give up a lot of leads like, and they, they, they get away from who they are, I, but they're I also a developing team. So, Oh, absolutely. The Sixers could definitely use a JJ Redick in the shooting. I don't know where a deal comes together. And that's, that's another one of these things. I don't know because of the money he makes, what kind of deal you're going to get for a JJ Redick. And I could have him to as, cut a couple people from the Pelicans to make right. it work. I mean, you would have, he is a buyout candidate quite honestly. And I, and I think, that they wouldn't have as big of a problem doing that because he's a veteran. Right. And they would do him a favor. They would do him that favor. You know, open and I, up time for Nikhil Alexander Walker. I, open I up think time for Kyra Lewis Jr. Him and I think a JJ and Stan Van Gundy have Josh had Hart. A, a frank conversation already about everything. And I think they're both on the same page. It's just when they want to do something and what they can do. I wonder why it's been so hard for him this year. I think they're trying a lot of different things in trying to see what fits. I mean, there, there's been talk that Lonzo Ball could be traded. Yeah. I mean, I, I see a lot of people trying to speak it into existence and get him to Chicago. Well, I wonder, I wonder where his best fit is. Well, I'll because tell you he's, another. He's an interesting he's an interesting case study just because he's not a great shooter. Right. And he's not somebody who really he does not drive to the basket, but he's a good player to keep the ball moving he's excellent in transition defensively he can more than hold his own there's so been some I, rumors he's interesting about, uh, there's been some rumors about a lonzo ball for kelly Oubre jr to the warriors trade just straight up yeah hmm. Hmm. it might have to be another part net to make the money work i have to look but there's there's been some there's been some rumors about that because Alonzo makes 11. And uh, if I look at Golden State real quick, Ubre makes what, 13, I think? As I'm looking it up here real quick. Something or rather? 
he makes uh yeah just over 14 so maybe something else really small has to include to make that work but that that's been rumored bantied around a little bit you know right now so i you know both guys are in the final year of their deals okay that's fair uh yeah sure i don't know that that's kind of a weird thing i mean I mean, the Warriors are playing I mean, a little bit better than I expected them, but I mean, I think a lot of people are wondering, like, what are they going to move Kelly Oubre for, and what are they going to get? That experiment is 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 going south quickly. <laughs> uh, I don't know what happened to Kelly. Um, he's he's had a couple of games where it's like, okay, there's Tsunami Poppy. He's blowing kisses to everybody. You Look know. what he did with the Lakers and the the comeback win against the the Warriors had against the Lakers. Yeah, and the two-game stretch against Minnesota, he was good. Um, I'd be pretty good defensively, against Minnesota. Defensively, like, he's a solid player. I want to see him put the ball on the floor more. You know, use – this is the problem, though. When teams know you're not shooting it well, you can't put the ball on the floor because they're not threatened by it. <laughs> um, and, and that right there in itself is going to create spacing issues because they're just going to shrink the floor and – Go ahead, Kelly. Shoot that from the corner that you're shooting 22% from deep from. Yeah. Like that, that in itself is an issue. Um, I think that a change of scenery could do him well. I think a change of scenery could do Lonzo well. You know, the Pelicans didn't select Kyra Lewis Jr. in the first round to say, okay, we're going to play you behind Lonzo Ball the whole time in the future. I think Lonzo knows that. Yeah, and I think Lonzo could be moved. I think the Pelicans have been shopping Eric Bledsoe. They're just trying to see what they could get for those guys right now. And even even like you look at a guy like Nikel Alexander Walker, who had a couple of ridiculous games this year. And well well, one ridiculous game, sorry, when you know everyone was hurt and he was in Clipperland and went for thirty seven and eight. But I think that they want to get him more playing time. They've been Really trying to get him into the rotation. Um, I already mentioned Kyra. Eric Bledsoe, I don't know how long he is for there. Um, if that is the direction the, the Pelicans go and, and you know, quote-unquote, blowing it up as far as the vets go. Um, been a good three-point three shooter this year, by the way. But the Pels, I, I, I can't put my finger on them. Nobody can. The, that's That's another conundrum that i'm not really sure about brian you want to play your game before we go let's play yeah game. let's play a little game okay so, do, uh, do the voice do the voice i always like coming up with these little games back and forth so because it is a game and i have to do the little game show let's play a little game of what surprises you more are you ready to play our game let's go sponsor what surprises you more that the Philadelphia 76ers are the top team in the NBA's Eastern Conference or that the Washington Wizards are at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. So that actually is right on point with what I was thinking this year. I, I, ha I was very big on Philly. You, you've heard me talk up and down about Doc Rivers this year. You've heard me talk up and down about Tobias Harris. We really haven't even talked about MVP candidate Joel Embiid really that much. Uh, but that is still a little bit more surprising than the Washington Wizards being at the bottom because I know of their defensive deficiencies. I think that I thought that Milwaukee would be at the top at this point. We're about at the what quarter mark or so of the year. Yeah. Um, so let's go with, yeah, let, let's say that uh, Philly, even though I was a, a big believer in them, I didn't think that they'd be at the very top. So let's go with that. And uh, I'm, yeah. I'm more surprised when it comes to the Wizards, because I thought that they would be a team that would be at the bottom end of the playoff race. And uh, I bought I bought into them like so many other people. I was drinking the Kool-Aid and um, I have not fallen flat on my face when it comes to the Wizards. Hey, Russ still has a few games left in him, though. And I love it. <laughs> I love it because Sunday you just saw it. He just wanted that one so bad. He was taking it to the rack, making good decisions. Even making his threes, clutch three to win it. Like, I just love those Russ games and that he still has those in the tank. I'm a huge Russ fan, so it's been very tough for me to watch him this year and 
be half of who he is. So getting the full-on Russell Westbrook experience when everyone was doubting him and when everyone was piling on, I just love seeing that response game. Now, I don't know how that looks the next week, the next two weeks. Who knows? But all I know is that he had it for that one night. Let's go to round two, Spencer. What surprises you more, that the Los Angeles Clippers are on top of the Western Conference or the Minnesota Timberwolves are at the bottom of the West? Uh, again, this kind of goes along with the, thinking, the line of thinking that I had, uh, but I'm going to go with the Timberwolves being at the very, very bottom. I thought that the Thunder were just dead to rights. Um, you know, and they're doing it again to me, <laughs> where they're still sticking around, still hanging around there. Credit Mark Dagnall for the job that he's done. Lugans Dort's looking great. Uh, really improving his offensive game um, in that three-point shot. I really like what, you know, Darius Baisley brings to the table. I know he has his shooting struggles, but uh, just as a, a future, you know, uh, stretch for, I think that he's a real solid talent. Teo Maladone, uh, somebody off the bench who's really coming to his own. Um, I, I like the pieces they have there. And, I, of course, I'm not even mentioning the head of the snake in Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Um, who's really just growing up in front of our very eyes. Uh, but that's not the team you asked me about. You asked me about Minnesota. Uh, I had a feeling that they wouldn't really be towards that contention stage uh, just because they still have yet to develop that, that team camaraderie. Uh, you know, it's only been, what, less than 40, 50 games that, Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell have played together. I mean, Cat's only played four games. Uh, he obviously a horrible year for him, and I, I feel so so bad for him. Uh, not with what he's dealt with, uh, you know, family losses. Uh, the dude got, uh, you know, ran over by a, a drunk driver or hit by a drunk driver, um, as he revealed, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, he's been diagnosed with COVID. He hasn't come back. Uh, well, he has only played four games. He has come back from that, but it's, this is injury related, but um, it's just the defensively, they just can't figure it out. Um, and that that's a big deal. Um, they're not able to get, they're not able to rebound the basketball. Uh, that's a really tough, tough thing. Uh, you basically have to outscore your opponent every night and, you don't know what you're getting sometimes uh, out of this offense. It's There's really not a designated flow to it. I will say I am excited about Anthony Edwards. I don't care what the analytics look like. I tweeted this out the other night. If you want to base his future and, and your expectations off of rookie year analytics, he was a number one pick for a reason. He's shown flashes. That game against the Warriors when it was one versus two, him versus James Wiseman, uh, was really fun to watch. And I watched Anthony Edwards on Sunday night um, really look sharp um, against the Cavs. I believe it was his second start of the year that night. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to bury Anthony Edwards. I refuse to do that. And I think he has plenty of instinct. Uh, or Not instinct, sorry. Plenty of athleticism. Uh, he just has to learn the instinct part. He has to learn his shot selection part. Um, but he's got the tools to do it. And that's what I'm trying to convey and get across. So keep getting him playing time. Um, even though you're not winning these games, this is valuable experience in the long run. Uh, but I think that he's had, you know, a solid stretch. Uh, I think it's his last, you know, four games that he's, starting to, to get that feel of where his shots are coming from. And that's big time because the shot selection game ain't easy when you start early. So let's play another round, Spencer. What surprises you more, that the Knicks currently have a better record than the Miami Heat or the Warriors have a better record than the Dallas Mavericks? Oh, most definitely. We're going to go with this one, the Knicks. So the Miami Heat, we, this is actually a team that we have not addressed. They have been bombarded by injuries and, you know, COVID, all, all sorts of things. 
you know, Jimmy Butler's played eight games. He's lost 12 pounds. Um, he did come out the other night and have that Jimmy game where he reminds you that Jimmy Butler's still here. He's still here, guys. Um, and, and that was a, a really good performance. Uh, but the Heat as a whole, oh, man. Uh, this this is fine. This is going to be okay. I, I don't think that this is a indictment on, on who they are. Again, they've put out, I don't know how many starting lineups they put out. That's probably something good to look up. But they just need to get healthy. They need to stay together. They need to be able to, to just kind of weather this storm, if that makes sense. You know, it's, it's not easy when you don't have your regular guys. I mean, they were starting some, you know, random guys out there, you know, in, in some of these games. They were throwing out, you know, some, some rookies in there. Uh, I believe Casey Apollo got some starts. Max Struess who's a two-way guy. Uh, they had some, a, a lack of continuity. So now you're starting to get your guys back. Bam Adebayo playing his best offensive season, uh, really utilizing that pull-up jumper in the mid-range. And Nikias Duncan of basketballnews.com did a great job detailing that. But when it comes down to it, just got to make shots. That's the biggest problem that I see with this team. They're not making shots. They have a really high three-point rate, but they're 24th in the league in three-point percentage. So make your shots, play defense, and you know that you know they're able to play defense. They're not guarding the, uh, you know, the perimeter as well as they were before. But again, that probably comes down to being healthy. So, um, you know, kudos to guys like Gabe Vincent, Struess, Casey Opala, who I'm sure is going to get more playing time because he's earning it. Um, but. You, you need your vets out there and you need your, your guys to, to really get up there. And I mean, Tyler Hero's got to get it going. Kendrick Nunn's got to get it going. Um, we know what Duncan Robinson is capable of. And even this, you know, 41% from deep is, is a small mark for him. Uh, but that is definitely more uh, surprising to me. And, you know, on the flip side, I'm looking at the Knicks and I'm, I'm seeing a team that's really picking up what Tom Thibodeau is putting down. Emmanuel quickly has been just magnificent. Um, he needs more minutes. 20 ain't enough. Tibbs keep playing him because one, he's got the float game. Two, he's got the ability to come off of screens and hit these threes. I saw it firsthand against the Cavs uh, last Friday where he is coming off screens. And not only is he coming off screens, but he's dragging the defender with him. He almost got two four-point plays that night. Defensively, he has these instincts to know where he's, his, his guys are going before they know where they're going. Uh, he makes great reads. He's, the numbers don't tell the story there in the box score. R.J. Barrett, yeah, he's having an issue you know, shooting the ball as of late, but I think that he's taking a step forward, um, especially uh, as a, a defender to, to use his his length to his advantage. Julius Randle, we already know that he's having an all-star caliber year. Uh, it would be his first if he does make it. But he's started to, to recognize that bully ball only works if you're under control. And he's able to utilize his skill set and his passing ability to open things up for himself now. So that's huge. And then, you know, we don't even go down the list about how good their bigs have been. Mitchell Robinson, uh, you know, just erases everything. <laughs> uh, Nerlens Noel coming off the bench, doing a good job. Austin Rivers randomly having 30-point nights. You know, one game he'll have five points and play 15 minutes. The next he'll play 30 minutes and score 27. You know, <laughs> it's so erratic uh, and, and a little weird, but that's just kind of how that rotation's working. I do want to see more Obi Toppin just because that's their young guy. That's their eighth overall pick. You want to see what he does. But overall, I think that they're just buying in. But you I think we're done with our game show for this week, I, but I'm going to bring it back. Sounds I think good. Played well though. Yeah, no, I think so too. 
Oh, you I, think you played well? I'm glad that I you. think so too. Hey, I think ch- check out my Twitter for all the great things I said hey, back in the actually, day about you know a guy, what? and I played a great game show today. That's right. I'm patting myself on the back this week, Brian. And you know what? We never even plug our Twitters on this show, so we're going to start doing that. You can find me at Spin Davies. You can find him at Brian Fritz. That's on Twitter. I believe on Instagram, it's the same handle for me at Spin Davies. And Brian, what's your Twitter or what's your IG handle? It's Brian Fritz. It's Brian Fritz. Some imposter took my name before I could grab it. (laughs) You can't represent yourself. All right, Brian, I think that's going to wrap it up. We are a part of the basketballnews.com podcast network. Make sure to go subscribe, comment, rate. Make sure to go visit the website. We have so many good good ones. We just announced, just announced, Kenyon Martin going to have Jadakiss as his co-host for Neat and Unfiltered Season 2. Got to go listen to that. The postcast with James Posey. The rematch with Tom Thomas, Dishes and Dimes with the ladies. The dunker spot with Nikias Duncan and Steve Jones Jr. The hottest podcast out there right now. Go listen to it. Especially if you love basketball because they will talk X's and O's off your ears. Alex Kennedy podcast always has great guests. The Sheridan Show and the follow through with Clips and Drew. And of course, your boys here at Keep It at 94. You can find us on Apple, on Spotify, on Stitcher. Make sure you go to Rate us, subscribe to us, however you want to say it. (laughs) Leave us a comment and make sure that you help us boost this thing up because we're just going to continue to talk even if you don't. (laughs) So with that said, we'll see you next week. Everybody take care. Enjoy big game on Tuesday night. Clippers and Nets. I'm sure that there won't be any hot takes out of that one or when they meet the Lakers on February 18th. So take care. We'll see you next week.